How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? Like Boar's Head Oven Gold Turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow roasted until it's fork tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Good afternoon, folks. You have found the Leslie Marshall Show. This is not Leslie. She's not sounding different. This is, in fact, Cliff Schechter. I am filling in uh, just for the first hour, and then uh, you'll get your Leslie fix. We've got some great guests coming up tonight. Where I think we're going to talk a little bit about swing states. You know, those places, uh, although these days, I don't know, Utah's a swing state, Texas is a swing state, maybe everything is. Um, but uh, there were some that used to be traditionally swing states, and uh, and, and Donald Trump's made a play for some of these. Uh, we, we call it the Midwest, uh, I think, we're, we're still going with, or Rust Belt. But um, I'm going to have on a couple great guys from there. We're going to start off uh, with a great radio host. He's the host of the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950, the Progressive Voice uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he's, his blog is Progressive Citizen X. I think we have with us Matt McNeil. Matt, are you here? Yes, Cliff. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure to be with you. Oh well, uh, our pleasure to have you. We need to we need to know what's going on in this in this, this middle part of the country where you reside, I reside. Uh, we're going to have Will Bunch up next, who's more in Philadelphia, but he's got a state that sort of stretches to that part of the country. So we'll talk about that. But with you, I, I wanted to talk about a couple things. Um, I thought we'd start off with some fun, fun, you know, referring to uh, our friend Mr. Newt Gingrich, who was on uh, a very interesting segment the other night on uh, Fox News with Megyn Kelly. And during his rant about uh, that she must be obsessed with sex and all sorts of other things that kind of sound a little bit gross coming from Newt Gingrich, um, he said that uh, he, he'd heard that uh, Donald Trump was doing very well in northern Minnesota and things were looking great there. And it was implying that he thought Trump could win Minnesota. Um, let me give you two choices. A, he's completely nuts. Uh, B, maybe a meth bender for a little bit and uh, not quite as nuts but still kind of crazy. What, what would you do? Uh, Trump, there is no way Trump's winning Minnesota. I just, I mean, remember, the Republicans even here in Minnesota didn't like Trump. They, this was, I believe, the only state that picked Rubio. And so there's no way Trump himself is going to win here. But uh, the, what he's referring to is of the eight House seats, U.S. House seats we have here in Minnesota, the Minnesota 8th race has seen, I think, the second most amount of money spent on any political race of the year. It's Rick Nolan's seat. He's the Democrat. Uh, this is the northern part, the arrowhead part of uh, Minnesota, the Iron Range. Uh, Union. So it's more rural, blue. right? 
Yeah, a little bit, yeah. That Duluth is up there, uh, so you do have a little bit of a metro area, but for the most part, it, it's all the space from Lake Superior north up into Canada, and it does come down towards the Twin Cities a little bit. Uh, it gets a, a little bit close here. You know, once again, some gerrymandering by the Republicans, but it's yep. it's a seat which is you know the the Republicans are looking at because it's that that some of the demographics there are that union blue collar guy maybe votes Democrat but Trump somewhat resonates so there has been an insane amount of money poured into the Minnesota Eight Rays right now Stuart Mills the third the heir uh, <laughs> or former heir they sold out the Mills Fleet Farm uh, chain he was part of that family he is being bankrolled uh. by a lot of uh, wealthy media people as well as other uh, wealthy people nationwide to try to pick off Rick Nolan's seat there. Yeah, well, and Mills, uh, interesting guy. They, they tried to sell him as like a conservative heartthrob, which disgusts me even saying that, um, <laughs> like an election ago, right, because he had long hair. Oh, he's so pretty. Um, that didn't seem to work out for them. So now he cut his hair. I guess he caught his hair on fire, you told me. Um, yes. He grilling. Was- He's not the smartest guy I've ever heard. He uh, he started his 2014. Now, Minnesota, of course, back in 2014, when a lot of the country went conservative, for the most part, we stayed Democrat. We were the, the exception to the rule. And, uh, you know, so Stuart Mills was not able to knock off Rick Nolan back then. He had this long, flowing hair. He came in. He's, you know, he got, has all of his Green Bay Packer gear trying to impress all the locals. and is very brilliant apparently in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's the Minnesota Vikings, so it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, no, that's not going to resonate. But then, yeah, he, he caught his hair on fire in a grilling incident. And so now he's. It sounds like the stuff hair. from like Spinal Tap, right? It was a bizarre gardening accident, I think. <laughs> those bratwurst look so good, he just couldn't wait. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite know how he did that, but he, uh, he did indeed light his hair on fire in a grilling accident. And so he's cut it short now, and he looks more Aryan race today. But he's, he's got a lot of... Getting with the current flavor, then. Oh yeah, he's 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 basically on board the Trump train. That's for sure, and it and it does present some interesting you know dynamics up there because, like I said, it, there are some parts of the country where Trump is not nearly the plague that he is, say in Minneapolis-St. Paul. That well, that's you know, why I there, wanted to talk to you. I'm sorry, Matt. I, I, just quickly, that's why I want to talk to you because it's interesting, right? Certain parts of northern Wisconsin and and Minnesota. Some of the same things are playing out that are playing out in certain parts of the I call it the middle and even northeast, really the northern part of Ohio. Uh, we mm-hmm. have some you, you know more conservative, socially union workers angry, and and Trump's talk on trade, which is not legitimate talk because you know he doesn't he he as we know likes to to to, to grab Chinese steel and dump it here or help them and and use that steel to build his buildings. We also know he. Uh, He's happy to have his ties and, and whatever gar- other garbage he makes made offshore. But, you know, he knows it plays well. And, it, and so I think that's what Gingrich was referring to was that in that part of Minnesota, just like in parts of Ohio, just like in the, the second district in northern Maine, in certain rural areas where, where, we've, you know, where jobs particularly have been lost in industry is, is where uh, Trump plays a little bit better. And I guess they're trying to sort of get him votes up there as well as uh, – uh, you know, as well as getting it for Mills. The, the other interesting thing I'll say quickly, and I don't want to want to let you talk more on this, is Nolan is a is is a guy that came in, in like the Watergate class originally, didn't he? He didn't run again for a while, and he's very progressive. So that's probably another reason they think they can knock him off. Am I correct? Well, they, he, well, he's he's progressive for Northern Minnesota. He's got his, you know, he's 
he's you know rural, likes his guns, and loves hunting, stuff like that. You know, he's he is more, uh, say, opposed to uh, Tim Walls down in the Minnesota First or Colin Peterson out in Minnesota Seven. He is much more of a kind of a traditional Democrat that way. But you know, you, you brought up something with the steel mills, and this is the fascinating thing about why Trump is resonating as well as he is up there because that's the Iron Range. They t- they mine tons of taconite out there. That is one of the, the the supply places for American steel. And as you pointed out, I mean, he loves his steel from China at dirt cheap rates. Trump does not play. Um, in the Minnesota third race, Eric Paulson, the albino leech, he basically is trying to hold his seat against Terry Bonoff. And, you know, he's, he's basically running for his life from Trump. Uh, Isn't that the opposite of a Trump district? That's one of those ones with very well-educated voters, some of whom, many of whom are Republicans uh, who are college-educated that are, that are ditching Trump. Is that correct? Yeah, very much so. But very much so. The third district is kind of on the west side of uh, Minneapolis. So you have some of the suburbs in there, a lot of wealth around Lake Minnetonka, and then it goes out into the rural parts of the state. So it, it was kind of a gerrymandered district. It was supposed to be a safe Republican district, but with a guy like Trump on there, and once again, a lot of people in that district, they, they're not going to support some guy like you know, you know, a Trump at the top of the ticket, and Paulson doesn't quite know what to do with him. Although, he might hold that seat. I don't think his competition, Terry Bonoff, has done a, a good enough job of tying him to Trump. But, see, it's poison there. It's poison. You can't even talk Trump in Keith Ellison's district, district or Betty McCollum's oh. district in Minneapolis or St. Paul. But up there, even with his Chinese steel, which you would think would be an absolute deal-breaker, he does resonate a little bit more up there. You know, the, the, the district does have uh, that, you know, blue-collar union, but occasionally yep. conservative swing. It was a district that Reagan used to love and used to be able to carry, but it is traditionally more so of a... kind of those Reagan Democrats, and, and which in the end forms the core of, of Trump's support. I mean, even to more of a degree, some of those, those types of Democrats had already left the party. They stayed with Reagan. They stayed more conservative, but some came back with the Clintons and kind of went between Bush and Obama, and we're having trouble because obviously Trump is, again, running on this fake pledge on trade where, where again, there's real concerns on how trade deals are are negotiated. I'm a big believer that we do need to trade because I think we need to have relationships with other countries, but how those deals are negotiated I have problems with. Um, But uh, but in in Trump's case, there's no nuance there at all. He he will, if it benefits him personally – Dump the steel here, but of course, the minute he runs for office, he's got people in a lot of these districts convinced that he's going to be fighting for their rights and their and and for these jobs to come back. And of course, we know that's much the same as what Trump said in Trump uh, for Trump University, or Trump Foundation, or Trump Ties, or Trump Stakes, or anything else, which is trumped up garbage. Uh, we have to go to a break quickly, and then we are going to come right back with Matt McNeil and talk more Minnesota Midwest and, and that election coming up. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back, folks. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Cliff Schechter. I don't seem to know my own name. <laughs> Filling in right now for Leslie just for this hour. Uh, we're lucky enough to have Matt McNeil on with us. Matt is the host of the Matt McNeil Show. At least I can say his name right. Uh, great show, the progressive voice of uh, Minneapolis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Matt, are you still with us? Of course, indeed I am, sir. 
Uh, I need more analysis from you because clearly I'm having trouble with my own name. Um, <laughs> well, I will I will say this about the, that that Minnesota eight race is that you know is is Rick Nolan is holding his own up there, and you know what? It comes down to something you and I have talked about before, Cliff, and that is proud Democrats win. If you're yep. proud of being a Democrat. You will win, and and Rick Nolan does not shy away from being a proud Democrat. That's why even with the obscene amount of money out there and with the somewhat of the appeal by the Reagan Democrats of a Trump candidacy, also let's not underestimate the fact that a lot of people in, in some of these areas don't like Hillary. I think that that's why Iowa is probably going to go for Trump. But, you yeah. know, you what you, get, what you get up there is Rick Nolan is an extremely solid candidate, and I, I'm still pretty confident that he's going to pull this one out. Well, that's good to hear um, because, yeah, that's what I mean when I called them. I said progressive. It doesn't mean, look, I, I don't expect anybody to be perfect on every issue that's important to me. But to me, part of it is your, the positions you take, but also the rhetoric you choose and that you don't run away, which we've done a great job as the blue dogs have receded and more uh, proud Democrats have come forward, you know, but that you're proud of the tradition of FDR and Kennedy and LBJ and many others, um, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, for that matter. Um, let's talk a little bit more because obviously you're a great national analyst too. First, I want you, I'd love for you to tell us if you think you know, the Democrats have looked at, at what's going on at the top of the ticket and said we have a chance to make some serious gains here. So I know that one of the things they're doing is trying to win back some legislative chambers, and you guys have fared pretty well, as you said, but you lost the state house. I believe in 14. What do you think are the chances we win that chamber back and you can pass some good progressive legislation in Minnesota? Well, and, and with, of course, Governor Mark Dayton here, who is been, yes. and I, I'll put our governor up against any governor. He's brilliant. Um, but, no, I, I think that uh, the, the Republicans are, you know, they're frantically screaming at any camera they can right now because they're desperately trying to find something that's going to have traction. Um, without getting too much into state politics, uh, you know, the Republicans sort of sabotage themselves in a negotiation tactic. And so unusual for them, huh? Anything- yeah, oh, it's a real crime that they did that to themselves. And uh, they uh, basically they don't have anything to campaign on and Donald Trump. And so you're going to see, I think, you know, one of the big problems for, for Republicans in Minnesota is the second district. This is John Klein. He's the House Education Chair. He's a Republican. He's retiring. The Republicans have put up possibly the worst House candidate in the entire country, Jason Lewis. This is the former conservative talk show host who is somewhat pro-slavery and extremely anti-woman. Little, little somewhat pro-slavery. Pro-slavery. It's good to know he's thinking it over. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's he's got some issues. Uh, Angie Craig is who the, who the Democrats are running, a very strong candidate. And along with this, there's going to be some serious inertia in the Minnesota Second District. And so, not only is there, I think, a very good chance. As a matter of fact, I feel pretty confident Angie Craig's going to win too. But I think you're going to see in the state of Minnesota that trickle down, and where you're going to get a lot of these Republicans, especially on the south and east side of the metro area getting thrown out of office and Democrats in their place. I feel the House, is, there's a decent chance in Minnesota, the Minnesota House is going to be there. But, you know, you look across the, the country, if, 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 if the Democrats just keep hammering away on the core issues and the fact, oh, and by the way, Donald Trump's the top, top of the ticket, they're going to make some serious pickups in a lot of states and maybe even, I don't know if they'll pick up the U.S. House, but they're going to get, I think, a little, a little bit closer than people think. Yeah, I, I wanna, I'd love to know in the last couple minutes here what you think about that, because the scenario I see, at least if things stay where they are right now, is if the Democrats don't take back the House, and yeah, that's a climb because of the serious gerrymandering we all know about. 
But I could see right now doing an analysis of it, 23, 24 seats. I mean, a really big night to where they're down a dozen, I mean, a half dozen seats. And then there's a lot of pressure on the Republicans because the crazies are there. They don't want to agree on anything. And so in some ways, that puts it, if they're ready to oust Paul Ryan, that puts a, a heck of a lot of pressure on the Republican Party. In some ways, some of the more moderate-ish members, if they want to stay in their seats, and there are some of those, if not a huge number, to maybe ha- agree with Democrats on certain types of re- legislation. Some of the, the, for example, the Latino uh, Latina Republicans who stay there, or a half dozen or a dozen of them, if you want to pass immigration reform, I assume they might be there for it, um, for example. Obviously, you know, and we know a bill got through the, the Republican Senate last time around because there are Republicans who are actually relatively, you know, Jeff Flake and, and Lindsey Graham relatively sane on this issue. So if we get to 54, 52, I'm sorry, seats, you can maybe make up the rest even with a filibuster. So I guess, you know, that's what I'm looking at. What are the dynamics going to be, assuming there's this big loss over the last two, three minutes? Tell me what you think. You know, you brought up Arizona. I think that's an interesting state. Where you're going to start seeing it early, Virginia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, I think in these states where they're gerrymandered, and yes, there are some seats in those states which it's going to be impossible to dig out the Republican ticks off that dog. But there are going to be some some of these seats which are leaning Republican. Watch those seats. If we start seeing these seats call for the Democrats early, this could end up being a long night. Here in Minnesota, like I said, I think Angie Craig's going to pick up the two seat for the Democrats. I feel Rick Nolan will hold that seat up in Minnesota 8. Watch the Minnesota 3rd race. Eric Paulson, I mean, he, he keeps putting out his own internal polls saying he's doing well, but if that race gets too close to call, it's running late, you could see the dominoes fall. I think the Senate for sure, especially with this new talk that, you know, this insanity that the Republican senators are putting forward, the idea of basically killing off the Supreme Court of the United States by not, right. you know, appointing uh, the, the, the president's choices to the bench, uh, you know, that I don't think is going to help them too much. These, this, the the idea of consistent investigations into Hillary Clinton by House members, I don't think that's going to help them. At the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be a la 1930, 1932, where you had major upheavals and 100-seat swings. But we could see quite a few, especially watch, like I said, Texas, watch Arizona, watch yep. Florida, watch these states where you know the, the Democrats are starting to get more and more of the uh, percentage of popular vote there. So, so let me say this quickly because we're coming up on it. Uh, where can people catch your show, my friend? If they want to listen nationwide. AM950, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Uh, you can listen to us there. Uh, you can go to Matt McNeil Show on Twitter. You can follow us there. We, we SoundCloud all the shows. Uh, of course, Progressive Citizen X is the blog. You can find links to that as well. Uh, just type that into any search engine. And, of course, I encourage you to follow us. And, uh, you know, like I said, we uh, we really do appreciate it up here in now, Minneapolis. I'll tell people, listen today. I'm actually going to be on with Matt. I hope you'll catch it. And thanks so much for being on, Matt. Once again, this is Cliff Schechter. I am filling in for Leslie Marshall, and this is The Leslie Marshall Show. Just had a great conversation with our first swing stater, we'll call him Matt McNeil, host of uh, The Matt McNeil Show. We're lucky enough to also have another uh, another gentleman, let's call him, gentleman and a scholar, author of The Backlash and Tear Down That Myth 
and more recently, uh, The Burn Identity. And, and he's a columnist of the Philadelphia Daily News. I believe I should have with me the great Will Bunch. Are you here, Will? Yeah, I'm here, Cliff. Hey, how you doing? All right, man. How are you? Good. Been a while. I know. I mean, at least we haven't talked in a little bit. We get to talk on radio, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> I know. There's no gear, at least not on my end anyway. So, uh, so you know, yeah, just say whatever. Any kind of stuff we'd say off air, you can go ahead and say here, and then it's totally cool. All right. That's awesome. Um, so, listen, uh, starting off, I want to talk a little bit about, Phil, about the Philly suburbs and the role they'll play in sort of blunting some of the Trump uh, – I don't want to call it momentum, but Trump support out in Western Pennsylvania, parts where normally, you know, it would have been sway, at least those would have been more democratic. And I'd love to talk a little bit about Toomey. But first, you wrote a great piece uh, asking a very important question, which is why Chris Christie has not been impeached. And as a, a, right. a resident of, of Philadelphia, right next door to, to New Jersey, I know I, I lived there once. Um, tell us uh, your thoughts, because certainly he did abuse his power. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, and I, you know, I think, I think the biggest grounds for removing from office at this point would be, um, uh, I think he's having some cell phone issues. Uh -oh. I'm going to try to reconnect. Uh-oh, I think we lost Will. Okay. Uh, we'll get him back in a little bit. Um, just so people know what Will, Will is, uh, located in the Philly area. So we're going to talk to us a little bit about the suburbs. You guys may have seen uh, with, I mean, obviously the, the election has been getting away from Trump there, but you've got you've got in uh, Mr. Toomey, their senator, somebody who's not endorsed, but won't tell people who he's voting for, which is exactly the division I wanted to talk about with Will, and hopefully we'll get that chance, um, because You've got these sort of normally, I want to say normally Republican voters in the Philly suburbs, although they've been drifting more Democratic, but nothing like Donald Trump to give that a kick forward uh, has led to, uh, you know, large majorities uh, likely for Hillary Clinton in that in that area. But of course, there's some of the areas we talked about with Matt McNeil that are much more rural or much more um, where industry has come and gone and. People felt that uh, promises made have not been promises kept, and often that's been the case, sadly. And uh, and we've got some people that, are, that have been attracted who are often, you know, in the past were Democrats to Donald Trump's rhetoric. So you've got the same kinds of changes that Matt was talking about. We're in the Saint, uh, we're in the Minneapolis, uh, Saint Paul suburbs. Republican, you know, moderate sort of suburban Republicans voting for a Democrat in the northern part of the state, where it tied more to industry or industry lost. You've got Democrats who are attracted to, to the talk, certainly about free trade and uh, sadly some of it about immigration, too. Um, at this point, I think, oh, we've got Will back on now. That's a good sign. Will, you with us, man? I'm with you. Sorry about that. Dude, it's all good. I, I, I've been trying so, yeah, to tell people. We started talking about the case for uh, Chris Christie's impeachment. I mean, yep. I'm just quickly, um, you know, I mean, it seems to me that lying to the people of the state of New Jersey would be really good grounds. I mean, I think all of us watched that press conference that he had in January of 2014, right after he was reelected, uh, when he gave this, you know, Bravo 90-minute or two-hour, whatever it was, performance. And that's what it was, a performance, you know, saying that that he'd had no knowledge of, of this bridge closing of the George, the closing of the lanes on the George Washington Bridge while it was yep. going on, that he knew nothing about 
any kind of effort to cover up the facts after it happened. And, you know, I, you know, a lot of us have been following this trial that's been going on of two of his former top aides, and uh, he knew quite a bit, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't um, say that we're – I don't think that you're probably shocked – I haven't been, you know, I sometimes go on Sam Cedar's radio show and we were as, you know, a year or two years ago talking about how our thoughts were, you know, that, that he wouldn't finish out his second term. Um, and that's why this article is interesting to me because uh, I don't look, do I have absolute evidence, but you've seen the pattern of behavior, the bullying, um, the way he put up these YouTubes of him screaming at teachers, especially women, which is popular in the Republican Party these days. Um, right, but what, what are the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the points, yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt, I was going to say one of the points, uh, you know, that I tried to really make strongly in the piece, the piece I wrote earlier this week was the fact that, um, you know, Donald Trump, if nothing else, his campaign has really, you know, caused a national conversation about the treatment of women, about, you know, what constitutes abuse and what constitutes mistreatment. And here we are, I mean, I mean, the evidence was really there about Christie all along. I mean, his treatment of women is terrible. I mean, you look at these bullying incidents, like you said, Exactly. I mean, you look at these YouTube uh, videos that are online with teachers and other people, and two-thirds of the people that he screams at are, are female, and he just treats them terribly. There was a notorious incident where he was campaigning for um, Mitt Romney in the, in the New Hampshire primary in 2012, and, uh, you know, he, he basically uh, made almost a sexual kind of put-down to this woman who dared challenge him at a news conference. So uh, he has this long history, but, I mean, what's interesting is at this uh, Bridgegate trial, last week when one of the defendants, Bridget Kelly, who was his, Bridget Ann Kelly was the deputy chief of staff, was testifying at the trial and said that, you know, Christie would yell at her and uh, when they were trying to do, right around the time of the Bridgegate incident, they were trying to deal with this other PR problem, a, a fire that had burned a boardwalk in a major seaside community, Seaside Heights, and um, he didn't like the plan and, uh, you know, you know, he yelled at her, you know, what do you think I am, a bleeping game show host, and then he took this water bottle and threw it at her and actually struck her on the arm with this water bottle. Jesus. I mean, look, I mean, that's a textbook case of abuse. I mean... It is. The, I mean, and, no and haven't you found, you know, and I saw that in your piece, that's why I wanted to talk about it, because to me, the most interesting thing, and I think it's been a bit underreported, people will talk about, you know, well, this guy that's working with Donald Trump is, is terrible, and that person is, but look at the rogues gallery, and what's the one defining feature? Really, Rudy Giuliani, a bully, he's been married three times. He divorces his, his second wife on TV. She had no idea it's coming, but he needed to humiliate right. her on right. TV. Uh, Roger Ailes, we don't even need to go into more detail. I, we don't know how many women he's sexually harassed and assaulted, but it's a large number. Steve Bannon, accused in, of domestic assault by his ex-wife, and I think right. also on oh his, gosh, his yeah. third wife. Newt Gingrich, who had to bring up sex when talking with Megyn Kelly on TV the other night, probably to try to shame her, who's been married three times and people forget, left his first wife, when you know, brought her the divorce papers when she was in the hospital with cancer, and right. left and his second wife while he was impeaching Bill Clinton. for He's, he's cheating on his second wife with a then-aide on his staff. I mean, every one of these guys, if you go through all of them, the one common feature is that they, they, they're all just terrible people, especially when it comes to their treatment of women. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's misogyny. It's the glue that holds Team Trump together is misogyny. You know, uh, just this horrible attitude towards women who, um, 
you know, last time I checked, we're 51% of the electorate. I mean, it seems like it seems like a losing strategy to begin with. But, you know, I mean, it, like I said, it illustrates a lot of things that people got away with. And, you know, and, and um, you know, and you can look at figures from the past. I mean, I mean, Bill Cosby is somebody whose sure. uh, shenanigans are getting compared to um, Trump's, uh, you know, quite a bit in his, in his treatment of women. And, you know, if you're a conservative, you're going to bring up Bill Clinton. And, you know, maybe we should. Sure. You know, I mean. Well, uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. And look, I, I think, I Anthony Weiner and, and right. yeah. Elliot yeah, Spitzer. And look, there are plenty of people. I'm not saying that there aren't any people on the left. It's just to me, and, 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 and frankly, non-political people. I don't know what Bill Cosby's politics were, nor do I care. Um, yeah, there's a lot of men, as you said, who've historically been, you know, have lived still in this madman world where they treat women like this. I just find it interesting that the, it seems to be that that's the defining feature of Trump and everybody around him. It seems to me is almost like they wear it on their sleeve. Right, and and, and also also just a willful ignorance to, uh, you know, what they're doing and how it looks to other people, you know, and and you know, not just the women. A lot of, a lot of men, I think, to their credit, are seeing this for what it is. But you know, uh, you know, we don't have to experience this, thank God. But I mean, it, you know, it's just it's it's just horrible. And I mean, to me. Um, you know, you know. Getting back to the main point, I mean, should Chris Christie be impeached? I mean, I think when you look at the totality of his behavior, when you look at, you know, any one of those things, you could say, well, he should be criticized, but removing him from office might be a stretch. But when you add them up together, together, I mean, I mean, clearly there was. When you look at the Bridgegate scandal, clearly there was a cover up. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the legislators in New Jersey who would be the ones who would have to decide whether to impeach Christie and remove him from office. Uh, you know, they tried to hold hearings in early 2014 to get to the bottom uh, of the scandal to see what was going on, and they were there was clearly this effort to deceive the legislature. So if I were if I were a New Jersey legislator, I would be furious at this, you know, this, at this cover up, you know. And and, 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 and hey, well, know, it, we're going to have yeah. to go quickly to a break, but let's continue on the other side of the break. All right, uh, I'm talk more about this. So uh, call me. Back. So I'll stay on the line. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool, man. Thanks, Wilson. That's. Uh, our good friend Will Bunch is with us right now. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE. Once again, this is Cliff Schechter, and I am hosting the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm sitting in for Leslie until she takes over the top of the next hour. Right now, we're talking to Will Bunch, great columnist of the Philadelphia Daily News, author of numerous books, including The Burn Identity. Will, are you with us? I'm here. I'm here. All right. So talk to me, buddy, about – well, we're still talking a little bit about impeachment, and after that, we can – Maybe move on to your book or whatever else you'd like to discuss. So, what, what else are you thinking about in terms of Christie's impeachment? Oh, yeah, uh, well, there's one other point. Actually, I didn't really get to this in my piece. And in fact, I got—I mean, I got a lot of response to the piece. I guess I published it Sunday night and, and on Monday, and um, uh, uh, several people who uh, uh, are a little plugged in, more plugged into what goes on in Trenton, I guess, than I am, said, uh, you know, that a, that a, you know, a lot of. Uh, Democrats and a lot of lawmakers, uh, you know, do think there's merit in removing Christie from office. However, 
Uh, the issue is that his, um, or a, a issue, or the political issue is that um, his lieutenant governor, Kim Guadagno, uh, can't pronounce it very well, but um, uh, right. uh, is, uh, uh, who actually, uh, I think, sits in the governor's chair a lot because Christie is so often out of the state, especially when he was running for president. But um, uh, she would obviously become governor uh, were Christie to be impeached and removed from office. Uh, she actually, uh, I find this a little hard to believe, but uh, sees herself as a um, candidate to, um, uh, I mean, uh, assuming if Christie's not removed from office, he's going to have to uh, step down because of term t- uh, limits at the end of uh, right. 2017. Uh, I mean, the, 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 next, the next election in, in New Jersey is next year, 2017, and uh, the lieutenant governor, Kim Guadagno, uh, wants to run. And uh, she, if, if, if Christie were impeached and removed, she'd be the incumbent. So the Democrats want to run for an open seat, not against, uh, not give her the power of incumbency, even if it's for, you know, eight months or a year or whatever. And so, um, so you know, it's 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 politics, and you know, it's a shame because I mean, when you yeah. when you look at when you look at Christie and you look at his bullying and you look at the way he treats other people, he's just a horrible role model. I think just terrible, you know. And uh, you know, I mean, if I were raising my children in New Jersey. I'd be embarrassed to say that this guy is the governor of my state, uh, you know. And, and I think, you know, I think there's, I think there's a morality here that transcends politics, and and it's unfortunate that, you know, political concerns are going to allow him to serve out his term. And you know, this is America. I mean, God knows what, you know, Christie's second or third act or whatever you want to call it's going to be. You know, whether he ends up a, you know, he'll end up being a sports talk radio host somewhere or, or some <laughs> ridiculous job. It, I, I've actually heard that mentioned as a possibility. That's why I said that. But I mean. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, and really, this guy, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly think, you know, I wonder why prosecutors didn't look, you know, weren't able to build more of a case against him, and you know, in terms of indicting his aides, and you know, I mean, he took a lot of steps, I think, to shield himself from the, for, you know, he, I mean, he set the tone for his administration and the corruption that took place, uh, but he also was. You know, uh, he may not have been smart about everything, but he was very smart, I think, about shielding himself from any any potential, you know, criminal fallout from from what he did. You know, he let right. others take the rap, and it's really unfortunate. So, well, you uh, know, yeah. and you, I just want to jump in and just quickly say you're correct. Like, when I mean, obviously, he's embarrassing. Is he a role model in any way, shape, or form? Of course not. Um, Two things I can think of, one, that drive me crazy. One is, as you know, for a while, the mainstream media fell in love with this guy. He could do no wrong, even though he was bullying yeah. people. He had, he had a very slippery past. They knew that as a, as a you know, the, the state attorney, he'd spent more money that hadn't been explained on, on staying at five-star hotels and things like this than, right. than anyone else. I mean, there's, there's a lot in his past to make you know if you looked, if you turned over a rock, you could find the corruption. That's one thing. The second thing is, yeah, he's a huge embarrassment. But, I mean, look what we're dealing with right now. Rick Scott was reelected governor of Florida. I mean, the guy in that <laughs> state with the biggest Medicare fraud case of all right. time. Paul LePage, even though the vote was split, but still reelected in Maine. I mean, Sam Brownback, who bankrupted the state of Kansas. I mean, it, it's just really that's what gets me now is when Republicans try to act like Trump is this anomaly as, a, as opposed to who he really is, which is this, you know, they built their way up to him. The, the, the steps to him were Chris Christie and LePage and Scott, these terrible people, some of whom committed crimes, some of whom just like to curse out other people, use racist commentary, bully women. I mean, this is what they've, they've organized their party around. 
And it's, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean some, some of these re-elections that you mentioned were were just stunning. You know, uh, you know, they're all they're all different characters with different types of flaws, but they're all just incredibly flawed uh, people. And you know, surprising, you know, in a, especially in a state like Maine, which um, you know, when on you know in, in presidential elections, Senate elections has a much more you know liberal to moderate bent uh, that they would return this guy LePage to the office is pretty incredible. You know, um, uh, you know, you mentioned at the outset. Uh, uh, if I can help you transition here to Pennsylvania, you know, the presidential race. And, sure. um, uh, you know, I mean, what we're seeing here in Pennsylvania is really interesting. And you alluded to this at the beginning, the kind of divide between the way the race uh, between Trump and Clinton is being perceived in the in the eastern part of the state surrounding Philadelphia and, and uh, that area and the way it's being perceived in the western part of the state, you know, the more... Mm-hmm. You know, which has a lot more in common in the Midwest, you know, but, um, uh, yep. uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's, you know, an 80, 90, 95% chance that Hillary Clinton is going to win Pennsylvania next month. And I think, I think the reason for that is largely, uh, the suburbs around Philadelphia. Uh, well, I mean, obviously Philadelphia itself, of course, will get a huge vote there. Right. But, but, uh, but that was expected, whereas the burbs have become, you know, were once Republican, right? Right. Although, I mean, this has been uh, – uh, I mean, this isn't like an, a shocking overnight phenomenon. I mean, actually – I mean, two things. I remember calling them – when I lived there, um, they referred a lot of the time, and he hadn't run yet for governor, but did eventually. Ed Rendell, he called them Rendell Republicans. <laughs> right. Did you ever hear that? I don't know. When I was living in yeah, Philly, yeah, people yeah, started cool. talking well, like yeah, that. They, loved, they were Republicans and they loved Ed Rendell. But you know, a lot of them became Democrats. I live. I actually live in the in the suburbs myself, and um, yeah. uh, you know, it's a very you know. And I've watched this evolution. Uh, you know, I, you really have to go all the way back. I think to the '80s when you find found at least in terms of in national elections, like for president, where you would see people in the Philadelphia suburbs still were going Republican, and you know, the Reagan and the Reagan and the you know, and, and when Bush ran replace Reagan. And since then, uh, most of the suburbs, except maybe the extreme furthest out exurbs, have gone heavily for the Democrats. And uh, But this year, this year, it's just off the charts. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about how uh, college-educated people, uh, excuse me, college-educated whites, and especially right. college-educated white women, uh, you know, are breaking for Hillary over Trump. And uh, in the Philadelphia suburbs are just the epicenter of that. I mean, there are polls showing Hillary Clinton might get as much as seventy percent, you know, of the vote in the wow. Philadelphia suburbs. Uh, you know, because yeah, and we were just talking with uh, Matt McNeil, um, who is based in uh, uh, who's who, Matt McNeil, who is in uh, Minneapolis, and he's talking about the Minneapolis suburbs the same way. Um, yeah. So there's no doubt that this is happening, but in Philly, it just seems to be on such a huge scale. Yeah, and this is, this is something. I mean, I, I mean, I personally just somebody who just observes been observing politics for a long time. I mean I've seen this I've seen this coming, you know, kind of a slow train thing that's been yep. coming for really forty or fifty years in that um you know whether you know, I think college education is becoming the great divide in American politics, and I don't think it happened overnight. I think it's been happening for a while. I mean, I mean, you go back to the 60s and the 70s, and Nixon and Spiro Agnew, you know, 
stirring up resentment of pointy-headed intellectuals and sure. you know, pointy, pointy, pointy-headed intellectuals fight back, though. You know, so so <laughs> you know, and and and, uh, and even you know, the switches you're talking about, you know, when I was in Philly, I think we're going to have to go in about a minute, but I'll say quickly yeah. when I was there. I had to write for my senior thesis when I was at, at Penn. I went to Northeast Philly, and I talked to what we were calling – I know that some was Reagan Democrats, but we were calling them Rizzo Democrats, right. um, who had originally been Rizzo supporters, the mayor there, who had been uh, not the nicest guy and somewhat of a racist, or if not a lot. So these, as you're saying, these trends have been going on since Nixon, and but we're now – they're speeding up with Trump. Um, I'd, lo- I'd love to have you back on in the future, but we got to run. Thanks so much, Will. Will Bunch, folks, Philadelphia Daily News columnist. Uh, and I think I'm out of here at this point. So uh, thank you for listening. You'll have Leslie in a little bit. I bet she can pronounce her name better than I pronounce mine. And um, I'll talk to you again soon, folks. Take care. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? Like Boar's Head Oven Gold Turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow roasted until it's fork tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere.